Our scripture passage today that will be the basis for our message is coming from the gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 44 through 49. So I invite you to stand as you're able in body or spirit in honor of the reading of the gospel passage. It was now about noon and darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, They returned home, beating their breast. But all of his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, there are moments in your life when you say to yourself, You know what? I didn't really expect that to happen. That didn't turn out the way I thought that was going to turn out. That wasn't the ending to the movie or the book or the series that I was expecting. They switched it. There's no way it could have ended that way. We have moments like that in our life, even in our personal life. Well, I didn't see that coming. That took me by surprise. You know, there was a moment in human history that was kind of like that, and it took place on this very same day, 110 years ago, on April the 10th, 1912. On April the 10th, 1912, you had about 2,227 people get aboard a cruise ship, a British cruise ship, that was from the White Star Line, that was supposed to be the the cruise journey that was going to put our human race on the map as being able to successfully sail a boat that was designed to be unsinkable. To this day, 110 years ago, people were getting on what they thought would be a cruise that would be something that would set history in a positive way but not in a negative way. And so they set sail, made various ports of call along Europe on the way out to the Atlantic, and then they hit the open seas on April the 12th and were cruising right along. And little did the, the, did the people know that the captain and crew were getting warnings daily about icebergs, some of them unpredictable But yet, the captain and crew wanted to go full steam ahead and get to their port of call in North America in record time to prove not only is this vessel unsinkable, but it's fast. But then all of a sudden, right before midnight on April the 14th, out there in the fog of the ocean, a minute too late, an iceberg was spotted, unavoidable. And the rest of it is history as we know. Around 2 a.m., the boat was by completely underwater on April the 15th. And only about 750 folks 
were able to get out alive with 1,500 others no longer making it. Man, no one saw that one coming. You see, in life, we have those moments personally. And as humans, we have that moment collectively as a group of people. And as a church today, we see two gospel passages. Whereas on Palm Sunday, we get your typical Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes our Savior riding in on a donkey. He's going to save us from Rome. Save us from the oppressors. We're going to have our kingdom back. The kingdom that was under King David. And we're going to rule forever in God's glory and light. And so we have this passage that we had from Matthew read. But then this passage from Luke. That very same Savior is now on a cross. Dying, saying his last words, entrusting his spirit to God. Man, people back then didn't see that coming. That did not go the way that it started out. What happened in those five days from Palm Sunday to Good Friday? What in the world happened to where now their Savior is crucified on a cross? What took place? And really only God and Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And everybody had to learn as it unfolded. And then after it happened, had to piece it together to see what it really meant. You see, when he came into town, many of the faithful believed that the prophecies of a Messiah were being fulfilled, but not in a way that they understood it. Jesus wasn't coming in to lead a military revolution of Rome. He was coming in on the spiritual battlefield to save our souls. Defeating the devil at the cross and death so that we can be victorious with him. But the crowds in that moment waving the palm branches didn't quite understand it. Because you see at the very same time there's a lot of activity going on in Jerusalem. This was Passover. The festival of Passover was going to take place. The Passover meal was going to be on Thursday. The day of preparation for the Sabbath was going to be Friday. And then the Sabbath day of Passover was going to be Saturday. It was a week-long festival that they were getting ready for. And Passover was one of the three festivals required in the Jewish faith to take place in Jerusalem. So you had all the faithful that were able to travel there in that moment as Jesus was riding in on the donkey. But that wasn't the only group that was coming in. Many say at the same time as Jesus was entering in the gates of Jerusalem on the other side of the town and the other end of gates was Pilate and the Roman legions entering in as well. These two forces entering in on Palm Sunday at the same time. And you see, Pilate was there as well for Passover and also to keep an eye on the Jewish people to make sure they did not rebel. Because his job from Caesar was to keep the peace in the town in any way that he can. And one way that he does it to show goodwill to the Jewish people, he releases one of the prisoners on the day of preparation, the one that they call for. But so you have this going on on Sunday, two opposing forces and two mindsets of what is about to happen. Then over the course of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Jesus does some teaching and preaching and shaking things up. He cleanses the temple. 
argues with the Pharisees, gets on the religious leader's last nerve. And they were worried. They were worried that Jesus was going to start something. They were worried that Rome was going to crush them if Jesus started a rebellion. They were worried as well. And plus, they didn't believe in his teachings. The religious leaders didn't believe in his teachings. And so what happened is, one of Jesus' faithful few, one of his very own disciples that would follow him around and see his miracles and hear his message, one of his very own would betray him. Many of us know who that is, and that would be Judas. You see, on Wednesday, Judas would conspire with the religious leaders to have him turned over, and to have him turned over so that he can eventually be led over to Rome and crucified. And he worked out an agreement on how much he would be paid. He worked out it on a, a sign that he would do so the guards would know exactly who Jesus was and planned it all on Wednesday. And Thursday was Passover. They have the Passover meal, as tradition says, has all the customary things. But then we know what happens. He gives new meaning to the bread, gives new meaning to the cup of wine, and breaks bread and declares the new covenant for them and for many that believe. Then he takes in that moment and becomes a servant to his disciples and washes their feet. In the middle of all this, Judas sneaks away and Jesus looks at him and says, you know what you need to do, go and do it. And so Judas sneaks away as Jesus remains with the 11 and asks them to stay up with him as he prays in the garden, knowing what is about to happen. And it does. The guards show up with Judas in the night and with a kiss on the cheek, he is apprehended by the guards. Peter goes to reach for the sword to cut off the ear of one of the servants and Jesus takes the ear and heals it and says, no, this is not the type of battle we are going to fight today. And then he is led away. He is led away to be tried, to be abandoned, to be beaten and to be led to the place of the skull to where he'd ultimately be crucified. And all the crowds that were there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now turning against him. And now they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Man, who would have seen that one coming? And so we get to this point here in our passage from Luke, where it's now about noon, mid-afternoon, and the entire earth goes dark. It goes dark, as if the Creator is also mourning with us, but yet showering down the wrath of the cross. And the world goes dark for three hours. You know, there's actually Roman historical accounts written by secular sources, non-biblical sources, that claim on this day there was an eclipse, which is very unique because it's also a full moon on Passover. It also makes this a, an act of God for the earth to be dark at this exact same moment. And then as the sunlight failed, the curtain temple, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was the place in the temple that was to separate God, the place, the holiest of holies, where only the lead priest can go behind, the lead religious leaders can go behind that curtain. The average day folk could not go behind that curtain, but behind that curtain is where God resided and he was blocked from this thick veil. Tall, 
fabric woven upon fabric. It was not a thin veil, but it was a thick curtain that ripped from top to bottom, symbolizing that God from heaven tore it all the way down to the earth. And in that moment of the veil being torn, God was no longer contained in the temple, but yet his spirit was amongst the world and his people have access to him because of what was going on on the cross in that moment. All the same time, the Passover lamb that would be sacrificed in the temple was also sacrificed in the afternoon. So many commentators would say as the priests and religious leaders were sacrificing the lamb for Passover, the curtain was torn. As the true lamb and Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins. So much, so much was going on in that moment. And then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. Commending your spirit means entrusting his spirit to God. In that moment where he had nothing but God, he entrusted his spirit in his darkest moments of his life here on earth. As our video showed earlier, it talks about how Mary, the mother of Jesus, trusted God in that moment to be the vessel of the Messiah. And that God is asking each and every one of us to trust in him each and every day. But it's hard. It's hard to truly put your trust in God first before anything else. You know, it is wise to be prepared in life. It is wise to make sure you have enough in savings. It is wise to not take, make dangerous decisions that harm your health. Yes, there's things that are wise that we need to do, but sometimes we put too much trust in our ability to take care of ourselves that we put God on the back burner. But we're to trust in God in all things, especially from the very beginning of what we do. And so we often wrestle with that. And we're not the only ones, we're not the only generation that wrestles with trusting in God first and ultimately before all else. Read your Bible. It's full of stories of people who wrestled with trusting in God. Full of people. Some doubted themselves. Some ran from God. But ultimately, when they would put their full faith and trust in Him, God would be able to show His glory and show the unique ways that he can come through for you. In my own life, I've had to have moments where I had to trust God. When I entered into ministry, I trusted God. And it was hard. Making big life changes is hard. And sometimes there's nothing you can do but say, All right, Lord, I put my trust in you. I trust that you have a plan, and I'm going to be faithful. Think in your moments where you were up against a wall or a major decision. Something big was going on in your life or you're about to start something new. And you had nobody else, nothing else you can trust in but God. And allow him to work through that moment to show his goodness. And so here you have Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. Physically bound to the cross. Yes, he could have got himself down, but he chose not to. He chose to bear the weight of the cross 
for our salvation. For each and every one of you. There is no one in this world, no one in this room, that he did not die for. Because you are worthy. And so he did not get himself off the cross, but he stayed on the cross for your sake and my sake. He bared it all. And then being fully in control of the moment, when he felt like the price had been paid, he then entrusted his spirit to God. He gave his spirit over and the job was finished. The job was finished at that time. The veil had been torn. The price had been paid. The world was set right with God through Jesus Christ in that moment. You see, God is real good about changing things and going in a direction we didn't see coming. As if you would watch Palm Sunday and then you get to Good Friday, you're like, man, I didn't see that coming. But then you have this moment of Jesus paying it all on the cross. And the folks watching this, the people there are watching and this is changing them in different ways. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. The Roman soldier is probably your most objective individual in this space at this cross. He was the one to make sure this crucifixion was to be carried through. He was the representative of Caesar and Rome in this execution. He is the one here that could have doubted Jesus and probably did doubt him while he was on the cross, saying, why doesn't he get down? But in that moment, when the earth turns black and the veil is torn and he commends his spirit, this person who's a neutral party then praised God and said, man... This guy was innocent. This guy was innocent. Potentially the first conversion of the cross. And then you had another group of people, the crowds that were there for the spectacle, saw what had taken place and returned home beating their breast. More than likely, some of these folks were the folks that were there for Palm Sunday. These could have been the folks that had been following him around. And they said, man, we messed up. Man, this person was innocent and didn't deserve to die this way. Whoa, we made a mistake. And they beat their breast all the way home in disbelief and in grief of their miscalculation. And then you had a third group. You had a third group there, and they were his acquaintances. Women who had followed him from Galilee And they stood at a distance, just watching in silence. It's almost like when you see something horrible just take place. And there's nothing you can do but just to watch in silence. This group of people, his acquaintances and the women would have known him intimately. They could have been some of his 11 disciples. It could have been... The Marys and his mom, as the other gospels say. It's those that know him personally and love him. And they're just sitting there in silence, not comprehending or just can't believing that, man, this is really happening. And just watching from a distance in silence. 
as often we do in those moments in life where we're in the darkness just watching in silence. There's no words to say. And so when you read this passage, when you hear what Jesus is saying on the cross, a few things should come to mind. Which group are you? First, are you the Roman soldier that doubted but then saw the miracle of what happened on the cross and believed? Were you the group that went out and praised his name and screamed crucified and then said, what in the world have we done? Or are you the group of the faithful few watching to the bitter end in silence, not believing their eyes and saying, how in the world can this happen? I, I like that Luke, when he writes his gospels, it acts like you can put yourself in the crowd in any one of those groups. But I think the main message that Jesus is saying in his final words is so important for us is that we see in his deepest, darkest moment, feeling the full weight of the cross, he doesn't save himself but he commends his spirit and entrusts it to God. And I think that shows for each and every one of us in our darkest moments in our life, where do we put our trust? Do we put our trust in our ability to get ourselves out of that, our ability to fix it, our ability to find our way through it all? Or do we first and utmost put our trust in God? Because what this is showing us here, if Jesus in his darkest moments puts his faith in God, then we are called to do the same thing. Because God is working in your life in ways that you may not understand. Because this story continues on. You have to come back next Sunday to see how it ends. Many of us knows how it's going to end. But that is the, the head fake, is what I like to call it, of God in this whole story. Is that when you think death has won, when you think Jesus commends his spirit, and that's all that's to the story, there's more to the story that we'll get to celebrate later on. But today on Palm Sunday with these two passages and going through this next few days here leading to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, we need to reflect on those times in our lives where we are called to ultimately trust in God as our Savior did. That God calls each and every one of us to put our full faith and trust in Him that we are worthy of this sacrifice and as a response we put our trust in him and allow God to move through us in our lives in ways that transforms the world. And so over these next few days, I want us all to reflect on that moment of Palm Sunday as we had just a moment ago to his final sayings on this cross and what he is telling each and every one of us. Because those words were meant not just for the crowds there, but they were meant for you and me. And so may we, as we go through this holy week and all that is taking place, and I hope you find the time to come back to church next week. We have our Stations of the Cross on Tuesday running through Friday. We have Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services at 6 on Thursday and Friday. We have a prayer vigil from Thursday night to, to Friday. And we do all of that not just to be busy, but to really drive home the point of what Holy Week and the weight and the heaviness of it is so that next Sunday, next Sunday, we can truly, truly celebrate. Let us pray.